one of your favorite parts about Education Week is all the people you get to see, you have to see forever, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I, the other day I watched a, it had to have been young, 75 or so, and the guy was presenting up and comes in, your mission companions, oh, and I was like, wow, that was a long time ago. Um, and they were just, they were just like your best buds again. It was neat to watch. I love, that's one of the things I love about Education Week. Grateful to be here today. Um, grateful for your faith. Grateful for your courage. Grateful for your desire to learn. Grateful that I get a chance to share some thoughts and feelings as we go through. Today's um, topics we're going to cover, giving reason to revelation and not staying present, have been two that have been very, very difficult for me because of my personality. And that's why, I, literally, I, I started to study these things. But I had an experience um, that really opened this up to me uh, probably 20 years ago when I was teaching in Washington, D.C. Um, I used to teach out there, right in the institute, just on the Virginia side of D.C. Um, any, any Virginians? Yeah, love my time in Virginia. That is some of the, that is a great city. Oh, I got to do this. Are any Wyoming folks here? Well, well half the state's gone now. Um, <laughs> Because I'm a, Wyoming, I'm a Wyoming boy. I just have to tell you, I'm a Wyoming boy. I'm a Star Valley boy. And I always like to make sure. My dad always says, you haven't told him you're from Wyoming yet. I'm like, sorry, Dad. Because <laughs> one time I was uh, introducing myself to somebody. And I said, yeah, I'm from Utah. And he said, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, sorry. I've lived in Utah longer than I have Wyoming. But I am from Wyoming. Um, that, is my, that is my roots. And I'm proud of it. And so, but I was teaching back in Washington, D.C. And... The average age of my students was about 27 years old. Um, they were 75% female, um, 25%, uh, and then 25% male. There were like three relief studies, one of those were in the, in the wards there, in each ward. And they were working professionals that were brilliant, bright, amazing. Just, I mean, I was so intimidated. I was 31 years old when I went. I was like four years older than them. And I'll tell you, I was so scared. Um, but I learned so much in that experience. Um, but it was kind of neat because I wasn't supposed to have that assignment. I was supposed to have a different one. In the last minute, my boss said, no, I feel like you're supposed to be in the Northern Virginia area. And it just changed my soul as I worked with these young, wonderful young people. One thing I noticed that happened was um, every spring we would have a whole brand new group of, of young people that would move that graduate from all the Utah schools. And and so I'd always kind of meet with them and talk with them, and, and they, this is where this experience started to open up about giving reason to revelation. Um, especially the young ladies, I would ask them this question. I'd say, you know, um, why are you here? And they'd say, I received a revelation. This is where I'm supposed to be. I looked at Boston, because there's quite a few YSAs up there. I looked at Huntington Beach, because there's quite a few YSAs there. I looked at Arizona, because there's a bunch of YSAs there. I couldn't get married at BYU, Utah State, Weaver, University of Utah, UVU, so I figured I could come and... So I got, a, I got a final husband somewhere, and um, they, would, they would come, and they'd say, yeah, I, received, I literally, it felt, you need to go to D.C., and it felt so right, so good. I was like, oh, great job following Revelation, great job trusting in what the Lord has told you. We would sit and talk for a minute, and almost inevitably, um, a very large number of them would say, and I think I know why, rather than Savior, and I'd say, why? They'd say, I'm here to find my husband. And I thought, at first, I thought, great. But then I started to think statistically, a lot of you didn't get the right revelation because there's not enough. And so I didn't know what to, and so my brain started going that way. But I can't tell you how many times they would say to me, I know this is why I'm here. 
I know this is the place I'm going to find my husband. Oh, I'm not going to argue or say anything different. I don't know any different. But the thing that I noticed my second year of teaching there and my third year of teaching, my fourth year, compared to my last year, was after about eight months to a year, I get a knock on my door, and they come in and say, can I talk to you for a minute about those And I knew exactly, because it was always about the springtime, about the 10-month mark they'd been there, and they'd say, why has God abandoned me? Why has why he forgotten me? Why did he send me here and not fulfill what he promised he would do? And I, yeah, I didn't have a clue what to answer. And um, all of a sudden I started to study and ask, what is going on in the Father? Why are so many having the same experience? And what was interesting, and I started asking them questions, because I started to have some feelings about this, and this phrase, giving reason to revelation. And what took place was, I said to him, I said, can I ask you a question? Will you please tell me again about your experience of giving revelation to come to D.C.? And they walked through, they'd gone to the temple, they'd fasted, they'd prayed, and it was very clear they were supposed to be in D.C. That's where they needed to be. And I'd say, so, where did the husband part come from? They're like, what do you mean? I said, in your experience, it never mentioned a husband. I said, is there any chance you added the husband part to the revelation? <laughs> and they're like, what? And I said, I'm just wondering, is there any chance that you added this part that didn't, was not there? And this is what made my soul leap with joy was this. As soon as I said that and they realized they had added the husband part, they finally found peace again they realized that God hadn't promised that. And now they didn't even be mad at him, or upset with him, or think he had abandoned them, or forgotten them, and given up on them. And I said, so we started using this phrase, is there any chance you've given reason to the revelation? And I started to notice that I did very much the same thing over and over again in my life. Is God would give me something, and because of my brain, it never slows down for three seconds. If something comes, I go, Phew! And I take off. And I go, oh, this means dot, 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 dot. And what would happen is, um, they would, oh, I'll show you this in a second after I do this. But they would come to a block, a place where they almost seemed like they couldn't receive revelation. And they'd say, I can't get anything. That kind of bothered me and worried me. And then I started understanding why God might be doing that. Because I, I said to him, I said, when a revelation comes, you got to realize it is not our right nor our privilege nor do we have the inside of power to determine what it means from the point of view where we stand so we went into genesis chapter 40 and said let's look at an example just from one of the great great types of christ in the old testament joseph and he's in jail and the two men come in the baker and the butler come in and dream dreams and joseph of course has a gift and they said unto him We've had dream dreams, or a dream, and there is no one that can interpret the dream. Nobody can tell us what it means or what's going to happen. And Joseph said unto them, but interpretations belong to God, that's why. And I went, what? Oh my word, it's right there. So tell me, and we'll see if God gives it. Well, of course, he gives them the interpretation, and the one probably wished he hadn't. Um, you know the story very well. The other one was joyful, and but the thing is, he forgot him for two years. He's there in prison, so finally, Pharaoh has a dream, and there's nobody to interpret it. And he goes, I know a guy that has power. 
And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it, and I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph, in his wisdom, and his amazingness, said, No, it's not me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Because, see, what I watched with these young ladies, as you look at this, is they would come to a roadblock, and they would, they would literally have a difficult time feeling like they were getting together in a revelation. And I don't know if that was because that was God pulling back or not, but I do know this. If I'm heading in a direction that I'm not supposed to, and God doesn't put a block, I'll keep heading in that direction. So God, in his absolute kindness and generosity and love, blocks me. And sometimes I learn, I, I always say, the heavens are silent on this. Why? And I started to go, Heavenly Father, have I interpreted again? Have I given reason again? And the feeling was, go back to the original revelation and just stay there. Because if I continue to give you more now, you'll think the one that you gave is right. And then when it doesn't happen, you'll get mad at me and blame me. And then you'll start to be angry with me and upset with me. And then you'll start to pull away from me. And then when you pull away from me, how well are you going to receive revelation? And I just thought, wow. So God, I think his kindness often puts blocks when we put an interpretation. Not because he's unkind, but because he loves us so much and knows that our minds are wonderful gifts, but they have to be treated with carefulness when it comes to, in a sense, being the interpreter of God's revelations. Okay? And so what I learned, so I started to study this, so what do I do? And I, I came across this quote that just really kind of made me ponder. And, and this one, sometimes when I share this quote, some people go, oh, so can I just give you a piece of advice right here? Don't live in the past as you read this. Stay in the present. I'm going to teach you that today. But stay in the present. In other words, you're going to say, oh, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it. It's done. You can't change it. Leave it alone. And so, but I think this principle is important. The spiritual part of us and the emotional part of us, don't get mad at me. I'll put it back up. I've learned with Education Week, folks, you're all nice until you don't get the picture you want, and then it gets really ugly. I'll go on, turn it back. Oh, thank you for saying please. Uh, okay, I'll go back. Um, I'll put it back up. The spiritual part of us and the emotional part of us are so closely connected. Now think about that. These girls wanted marriage so badly, that's their emotional sign. So why would they not think that that's a spiritual righteous thing? Because it is. But the emotional side became their revelation. Watch the rest of the quote. Don't leave it up. Don't yell at me. So closely linked that it is possible to mistake an emotional impulse for something spiritual. I can't tell you how many times I've done this. We occasionally find people who receive what they assume to be a spiritual prompting. From God, of course, when those promptings are either centered in their emotions or are from the adversary. So I know that everybody would love to raise a hand and say, you want to walk through that one for a little bit, Unsaker? Because that's a tough one. As we go through the rest of this presentation, just pay attention to think about, I'm going to give you some key things to stay protected from the adversary's influence or your own emotional connection to what you really want. It's as simple as a revelation when somebody 
uh, has a family member that's struggling, they get an impression to do something for them, and um, they emotionally go, ha, this is the thing that's finally going to turn. And when it doesn't, they get really upset with God. Right? Or they go, I blew it. I didn't do it right. I didn't do it soon enough. I didn't say the right words. None of that I believe is true. I believe that God is giving you a piece of a whole. And that's what I'm going to do. So I'll walk you through now how to understand how to guard yourself against what we're taught right here, how to protect yourself as we, I work with these young ladies, okay? So what needs to happen is the Lord is saying, I need you to do something because it is very rare that God gives an entire revelation in one city. Even Joseph that goes, gets the, the vision of, of the father and the son, he didn't get everything he needed in that moment. There was nothing about the, the Book of Mormon or that right then. He got a piece of it. And if and God does that because if he gave us the whole thing, it would overwhelm us so badly, I think we'd be an emotional wreck. Literally. And so in his kindness, he does a little bit at a time. If there's an emergency, he may give you, and I call this event revelation, he may give you something for that event. And we need to make sure we don't take that and add it to something that's not beyond that. Like, for example, get out of your car because you feel like you need that something needs to happen. You know, we can even go back and go go move your, your wagon away from that tree, right? Well, that doesn't mean every time he tied it to a tree from that point on, he needed to move it. That was an event revelation. That moment, that time, needed it moved. God is a God of continuing revelation. Now, I told you in the first day, one of the reasons I want to teach you about revelation is so you can come to know God. That is a very important characteristic that you need to come to know God, that he is a God of continuing revelation that comes in bits and pieces because it's the best way for us to be able to handle it. And when we know that he's like that, it makes such a difference in our hearts and our souls to know that what I got is enough for right now. Okay? Because, see, I call this the gap. There's revelation that's going to be way down here, okay? But he knows that he cannot give that until he has us ready for it. And so he uniquely does it. So in the gap between the revelations that are coming, instead of stressing over if you are getting it right or if you're doing everything right, I think there's some things that you can do that will help you to be prepared so the next one will be received with, again, not interpretation, but gratitude and hope, and knowing that that's all you need right now. Okay? The gap has many things, but I, these are the six that I like to do. One of the first things that I've learned to do, and my colleague taught me this, it was such a blessing, is when I receive a revelation, one of the first questions I ask myself is, what do I need to clean up and do better in life right now? Because a cleansed vessel can be filled much more easily than a vessel that's not cleansed. Because if the vessel has tainting in it, then whatever the revelation that goes in might be tainted by that. Now, I'm not saying you need to be perfected, but I'm saying there needs to be a little more cleaning so there's a little more room. We need to increase our spiritual capacity to receive revelation. Clean our lives up a little bit. Number two, I act on what I do know, not what I don't know. I know that I'm supposed to do this. That's it, so I'm gonna act on that. Um, I prepare myself by making sure I'm in the scriptures, that I'm searching and being where the covenants are with the ordinances in church, that I'm in the temple and the holy place where revelation can flow. I ponder and think about what he's given me and I start asking the questions, not why did he give it to me, but what is this revelation teaching me about what he's like? 
That's my why. Why would God do this? Why does he need to do that? What do I need to learn from that? And then I ask lots of questions based around my agency. I've just learned that when you live according to doctrine, it keeps you protected away from the adversary and our own emotions. That's why the next class I teach is our doctrine, of course, the emotional wellness. If you keep us in the balance that God can heal us. And finally, I focus really heavily on, am I keeping the covenants that I have right now? Okay? <laughs> These young ladies wanted to make the next covenant really badly. And sometimes they got so focused on the next one, they forgot to keep the ones they were in right now. And that's important. And so what happens is, at that point, the next revelation comes, and what I love is, I don't know about you, but I think we're all the DC young ladies. And God says, okay, I'll let you go a little ways. I'm going to put a stop there so you will stop, and then come on back home. He doesn't, he doesn't say run back there. He says, okay, you got the DC, you're here, so you're good. Start working on these, and I'll give you the next revelation. As Elder Scott teaches so beautifully, <clears throat> when we seek inspiration to help make decisions, the Lord gives gentle promptings. You should ask yourself, why is it gentle? The more that God has to command, the less he can bless. So God likes to command less so he can bless more. So he will start with gentle, hoping that that will be responded to so that the blessings can be greater. President Benson loved to teach that. Okay? He goes on and says, Lord gives gentle promptings. These require us to think, this is the gap, exercise faith, work, struggle at times, and to act. Seldom, seldom does the whole map answer to a decisively important matter or complex problem come all at once. More often it comes a piece at a time without the end in sight. Now, again, what does that teach us about God? That he doesn't give us the end in sight. That he doesn't say, hey, here's the end. He gives us all these gap opportunities to have a chance to trust him more and more and more by coming to know him more and more by the revelatory experience. I think when that happens, there becomes a powerful tool where as I know him, my trust increases, my trust increases, the revelation that comes does not cause me to be angry or upset. It gives me a chance to go, ah. Another opportunity to know him better. To be near him. Because the revelatory process is about being near him. And learning from him. And learning to think like he does. And do what he does. That's the beauty of that. Okay? So we go on. And what God does is, okay. We're not at the end yet. Remember, I'm a God of continuing revelation. I'm going to give you another gap. Well, I already cleaned up. There's some more, I promise. Okay, there's, there's a few more things you can work on. Because if I came in and told you all the things, it would overwhelm you so badly that you would literally struggle deeply. So I will be kind and generous and long-suffering and gentle and patient. All the character attributes and perfections of God are shown in this so well. It's amazing. I'll give you that until finally we get to the point where now that you have prepared and prepared and prepared, this one you can now handle. Let me give you a quick example of what I mean. <clears throat> well, my wife and I, we took our five children, moved back to Virginia, um, and started teaching us to back there. Year two, um, about, well, it was year two, the fall of year, that we finished year two, and we're starting year three. That fall, I got this impression that we were going to move soon. And I went, what? And I thought, that's ah, just me. So I go home, my wife goes, 
He didn't even thought about moving like, oh, stink, blog witnesses, I'm dead. Because <laughs> ah, when she has it, it just frightens me. When I have it, I'm like, yeah, 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 no, I'm okay. I probably made that up. Why would I make it up? Because I don't want to move. But she got it, and I'm like, oh, so we go to the temple, we served. And what we did is we literally overreacted terribly. Because if he said we're going to move, that meant we're going to move this next year. And every January is when the Salt Lake College says we want you to move. So we pulled all of our kids out of sports. I gave reason to the revelation. We started to put things in order to get it to sell and get ready to go. And January comes, February comes, March comes, and we don't get a call. We're like, okay, I thought I just revelation a bit, but I guess not. Fall year, start year four. We get an impression you're going to move. Put each other with. We're not doing this again. <laughs> we didn't pull our kids out of sports. We didn't pull anything out, but we started to think, okay, what? Comes January, no call. February, no call. March, no call. We're back. We're still there. Like, what is going on? Start of year five. Strong impression. You're going to move. And this time there was an add-on. Now, I want to be really careful with this because you may go, wait, this stuff seems contrary to what the brother teaching. It really isn't if you understand it. We had a feeling to start to consume our food storage at this point, and I thought that can't be revelation because why would God ever have you eat that stuff? Because <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I don't want to die and eat that stuff. That's to stay there hoping that my children will have to use it. <laughs> Not me. I never want to eat that stuff. I like real food, and so I just, and so we started to, and the pressure was strong enough, and it was in the temple that we started to consume our food storage, which seems so contrary. But see, it was he wasn't saying don't ever have food storage again. He was saying right now, start consuming that because you're going to move. It comes January towards the end of January. We're kneeling one night in prayer. It's eleven o'clock at night, and the phone rings. And I'm like, oh, he's calling at 11 o'clock at night. And I pick it up and it's Salt Lake. Hey, is your wife there? Yeah. Is it late, isn't it? Yeah. Why are you calling? I said, and, and my heart was just going crazy. And he said, we, we'd like to reassign you to California. I'm like, what? That's 3,000 miles. I have seven children and a wife that's eight months pregnant. No, sorry. She'd have been six months because the baby was born in Stanford, California. Six months pregnant, and I have seven children under the age of nine. Oh. And I said, what? Now, i got to tell you this story. Heavenly Father, he loves me. When I first got hired, I said to my wife, I will go anywhere the church asks me to go, but I will never live in California. <laughs> and I said that, literally said that to her. And she's like, you stupid man. <laughs> Why did you do this? What is your problem? We, I'm going to tell you honestly, had God not, God not prepared my heart for three years, I would have told them no. I would have, because there's no way I was going there. And But because at that point, the revelation happened for three years, when the California came, I knew 100% it was from not for me, because I wouldn't have done that. 
We get a call the next week, and the very first thing they says, we just need to make sure you know the church will move you, but they will not move food storage. <laughs> so you need to make sure that you don't have any. Right. Oh, my word. And I thought, God, what? Why did you do that? Because I love you. Because I love you, Stephen. And that's why I told you to consume it. And we didn't really have any food stories to think. Because they wouldn't all anyways do that. And, and so that three-year journey for the Hunsakers. Now, that's a happy, wonderful ending, isn't it? Those four years in California were the best thing in the world because of the people we were around. It was the worst and difficult thing on my family for four years. It was very, very hard. My job was amazing. I had a phenomenal experience, but the journey of what was on my life was very hard. The influence of what happened with my children, some of the things were very difficult. And so, just because we get to the Revelation meeting, oh, here's the end. Oh, it's off to the start. We have more Revelation to teach us to become trust in our God. It absolutely is. I love this. To recognize the hand of the Lord in your life and accept His will without complaint is a what? Oh, we think Revelation is the end. Oh, no, 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 no. This is the start, brothers and sisters, to a world of openness, of truth, and life that's amazing. That decision does not immediately eliminate the struggles that will come for your growth. I hate that sentence. <laughs> I'm not going to be honest here. But I witness that is the best way there is for you to find strength and understanding. Listen to this phrase. It will free you from the dead ends of your own reasoning. It will free you from the dead ends of your own reasoning. Because that is what our own reasoning will always do, is create a dead end. Because God is kind enough to make it a dead end. So we stop, and we reevaluate, and we learn more about Him, and we come back home. And we come back home. It will allow your life to become a productive, meaningful experience. Why? Because when you know God, it is meaningful and productive. When otherwise, you may not know how to go on. Well, if I'm up there, let me go back to that. If I'm up here, I don't know where to go because I'm not going the right direction right now. So he says, come back down, come home. Come and be with me. Okay? Because if you think about it, brothers and sisters, this will lead us into the next part that's really sweet. <clears throat> that is how much we can see as human beings. That's our present. But God's present is not our present. Because the past... And the future and the present are always before him at all times. I know our minds do not comprehend that. I know it makes no sense, but it doesn't matter. It's true. And so there's no time to him. There's no past to him. There's no future to him. Everything is present. And we're going to we'll jump into that. So what he's, if you look at that is God is giving a revelation from here. And I go, I know what it means. He must smile and go, oh, Stephen, I love your tenacity. Let's redirect it towards something that will be much more productive in your life. And that is coming to know me, trusting me, so that I can turn you into what I want you to become. California was hard on us. We lost everything financially, plus more in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and started over after 17 years of marriage and 10 children with not a dime in our pocket. When we moved back to Utah, wondering if we could make it. And that was God's plan to 
change us. God, to refine my soul. At times I've hated those four years. I've come to realize what God was doing to try to make me into what I need to become. Not a millionaire, but a man of God. Because that's far more important. And when we stop leaving the reasons, we'll start to understand what he's trying to make us into. And it is a being like him. And if I will go vertical, he will incrementally, a little bit at a time, show me what he sees. And that's what he's done over the last 30 years of my marriage. He's showing me why I was in Virginia, why I was in California, why I'm at Utah State, why I'm standing in front of you. And what happens is, and I, if you get a chance, we don't have time. Will you please read those three scriptures? You will see as he sees, know as he knows, and become like him. That's his goal. It's powerful. Those sections of light and truth and the olive leaf that he gave us in 88 are about becoming like him. But he says, I've got to teach you. There's a principle that's critical to understand with that. And it is this. You've got to learn to stay present because that's where I dwell. And when you stay present, there's power. So brothers and sisters, we have literally three choices every day. You can live in the past, you can live in the present, or you can live in the future. Now, doctrinally, we want to walk through this. This is important. Okay? If we choose to live in the past, then you know that this might, that will not work if I walk this far. <laughs> you will be depressed. Do you know why? How else could you feel when you can't change something? What else other emotion would there be to have? Joy? When I live in the past, and I look at all the things that didn't happen, and even maybe the things that did happen, but I often have a chance to look at things that didn't happen, I become depressed thinking I blew it. If I live in the future, I'm going to be anxious. Those two emotions are very difficult emotions to have and still hear the Spirit. Especially if it's heavy depression or heavy anxiety. But even not clinical anxiety or clinical depression, it's still those emotions make it very difficult for us to understand when God is speaking. But let's, let's talk about why, again, doctrine, because see, this one here is what brings peace. This comes from a Chinese philosopher named Lao How much agency do you have in the past? Go like this. How much agency do you have in the future? Now, this one bothers are like, well, I have agency. No, you don't. You can't control the future. How much agency do you have in the, in the present? 100%. That's why the present brings peace is because doctrinally, you have full agency there. You don't have agency here. The adversary would love you to live in these two places because then he wins the war in heaven over agency because we give it up. That's why screw tape letters. You guys have read it. Screw tape is the head devil. He's training his devil, his uh, nephew, Wormwood, how to be a good devil, right? <clears throat> the humans live in time, but the enemy destines them for eternity. The enemy meaning God. Okay, because this is the devil speaking. Okay, God, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things. So God wants us to think about two things. Eternity itself, and you're saying, well, that's future thinking. No, it's not according to the definition in this quote. To eternity itself and to the point of time, which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. The present is the point. Now listen to this. He would, therefore, God, have been deeply concerned with either eternity, which means being concerned with him. So what God wants, he wants us to be concerned with him and the present state we're in. 
When those two things become what we are staying in and living in, that allows us then to have a place of revelatory experience where God can teach us what he's like. Our business, <clears throat> the devil's business, is to get them away from the eternal and from their present. Get us away from God and from the place where our agency is in full force. I assume there's probably some mission presidents in here, former mission presidents, I'm from New York, better not be a current one, um, a former mission president, and I would bet you that the missionaries that had not dealt with their past struggled as missionaries, because they lived there because they were still worried. And I'll bet you those that all they worried about is when their mission was over getting home, they struggled too. Those that stayed present, you were able to teach and mold and shape. Right? He, God does not want man to give the future their hearts because he wants you to give it to him. We do. We want man hag-ridden by the future. I thought I knew what hag-ridden meant. And I looked up one. I didn't know what hag-ridden meant. Okay? This is what hag-ridden means from that time period. Tormented, troubled, anguished, distressed, or tortured. Satan wants us tormented, troubled, anguished, and distressed, or tortured over what's going to happen in the future. If you were Baptist, you'd say, Amen. Give me in. There we go. You guys can be good Baptists. All right. Okay. Yes. That, that, you think, but that's what he does. So Brigham Young, one of my, I just love Brigham. I just do. I love this man. And, and uh, yes, he has flaws, but so do I. Okay. So long, choir. <laughs> do you suppose it will finish the temple? It's all like Temple Brother Brigham. I love that response. I have had such questions put to me already. I'm trying to use his voice. My answer is, I do not know, and I don't care any more about it than if my body was dead in the grave and I ate my spirit in paradise. He goes, I don't care if this temple gets done. <laughs> what? I don't care if the Salt Lake Temple gets done. Brigham, this is the temple of temples. So? Because he understood something. I have never cared but for one thing, and that is simply to know that I am now right before my Father in heaven. That's all that matters to me is I'm right before him right now. If I am this moment, this day, doing the things God requires in my hands, and precisely where my Father in Heaven wants me to be, I care no more about tomorrow than though it would never come. I do not know where I shall be tomorrow, nor when this temple will be done. I know no more about it than you do. If God reveals anything to you, I will tell you as freely as if I said to you, go down to City Creek and get a drink of water and be satisfied. This I do know. There should be a temple built here. I do know it is the duty of this people to commence to build a temple. We get so caught in the finished product of what's supposed to happen in the Revelation that we think if it doesn't happen, the Revelation wasn't correct. Did Brigham see the temple done? From the other side of the valley. Did John Taylor? Did Lord of the Snow? Wilford Woodford finally finishes it. Because, see, Brigham's revelation was to build a temple, not to finish the temple. And so Brigham kept his revelation. He began the temple, and he's built what he could to the point where passed away. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand there's far more to the re revelation is not bound by earth. That's why your picture of a blessing is not bound to this earth. It's not. It is an eternal blessing of pre-mortal, mortal, and post-mortal. And revelations that we can receive may have things that will carry us into the next life. And trust me, those. I say that if you have a struggling family member that you've been rebuilt, they'll be okay. God didn't say in this life, 
Trust it. And do what you can do today to build that temple. And when it gets done, it gets done. That's according to God's time, His will, His ways, anyway. Elder Holland, this is, um, I apologize, I don't know if I should say apologize, but he gave this talk to the saints in Japan. But there wasn't a written one, so I took and I transcribed one little section, because I just love how he taught this. I think he just teaches this so well. And we're going to walk through how to work through this not living in the present, okay? Um, whatever your questions are, <coughs> excuse me, whatever the variety of questions and issues, the answer is always the same. You just have faith. Now, some of that is going to be about marriage. Some of that's going to be about school. He was talking to the, the YSAs, just so you know. Some of that's going to be about employment. Some of that's going to be about world conditions in the future. 101 issues about which we could be anxious and have concerns. But universally, unequivocally, the message of the gospel is the same for all of us. It is a faith. That is why faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in God, faith in the kingdom, faith in the truth is the first principle of the gospel. It must come first. There will be a tendency in your life to jump, want to jump to some future issue, some fearful thing down the road. What will it be like when I get married? Or will I find a job? Or will I have employment? Or will I have income? And we make a leap clear down the path to a distant question and a distant issue, which we have no control over. And what God wants us to do is to take this step, this step right here, pointing down to the ground as he says it. Just one right in front of us. And he says, I'll take care of those when you get down here. I'll take care of that part of the road. But you take this little step, just this baby step right here with faith in Him. And if you take enough of those and you work your way with faith before long, we'll be down here and we can talk again. And I have some answers for you when you get down here. Isn't that sweet? It's because it's all He just can speak in ways that very few of us can. So as I was looking through here, I'm going, Stephen, is this anywhere in the scriptures? Because I've said before, we've got to make sure we back this up in scripture, right? Manna. Manna is an interesting thing. Children of Israel were a large, large number, and so they needed to be able to be fed. You couldn't stop and live long enough to plant crops. There wasn't enough animals in the desert to feed them for 40 years because they wandered around that way. And, and so what they did was, he said, Moses... We're going to complain, because that's all the children of Israel ever did, was murmur and complain, right? I taught the Old Testament a few years ago at Utah State, and I, the first day I said, tell me what you know about the Old Testament. God is ornery and grumpy. That is what they said. He is like, he is a, he's a different God in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. And I said, I'm going to show you that he's not. So we went through, uh, you know, 15 weeks, and we get to the end, and I said, tell me what you learned about God. Holy cow, he is patient. He should have destroyed them a long time ago. <laughs> that was their comments. They're like, he just keeps letting them have a chance and a chance and a chance over and over. I'm like, exactly. So God is not as mean as the people were grumpy. And you know what? Those Israelites, they were, they were complainers. I wonder if we're the same. Ask. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say it. Um, gathering manna. The rules of manna were this. You could gather as much as you would like on that day, that morning. Needed to get it before it melted away. And you could have as much as your family needed. And except on Saturday, because we want the Saturday to get holy, we don't want you gathering food. You can gather twice the amount your family will need. So if, is it, what's your name, Peter. Peter. Oh, that's a great name. That's my hero. 
Peter can eat five pounds. That's his daily law. But his wife, I hope. I just realized I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Put your arm around her or something so I know what's going on here, all right? Beverly's like, you know what? I'm a two-pound lady, all right? Whatever it is. And so he gathers seven pounds that day, and he's got teenage sons, so he gathers an extra 40, and then he has some, he has some little children that don't eat anything, and they'll complain about the manna for sure, so he gathers a little bit. So he gathers his 25-pound allotment that day, right? That's what he, he could do. As much, God did not put a parameter on how much you could do. You just needed to promise you would consume it. The very first day manna comes down, they get up in the morning, and there's these beautiful little wafers. Do you guys know what manna means? What is it? What is it? That is what manna means, is what is it? So they called it, what is it? Yep, that's a good name. Uh, it's it's kind of like your children, moms, when you, they're like, what is that, mom? <laughs> Shut up and eat it. Um, it's good for you. That's what we were afraid of. Um, and, and so they get up that first morning, and you know what happens. The question is not that we know what happens. It is why did it happen? They gather as much as they possibly can. Why? Because they didn't know their God. And so they didn't trust him. He'd bring it the next day. So they tried to survive according to their own power and strength and tenacity. As if they could gather 40 years worth in one day. Maybe they didn't know they were going to be there for 40 years. I don't know. But they didn't know him enough to say, we trust you. And brothers and sisters, he said... I want you to stay present. I, I, I love this. This talk is phenomenal. I'll give you the reference on the last slide. In essence, the children of Israel, just think of what Elder Christophers and teaches here. In essence, the children of Israel had to walk with him today and trust that he would grant a sufficient amount of food on the next day, for the next day, on the next day, and so on. And this is why. Because in that way, he could never be too far from their minds and their hearts. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to be with them every day. He loved them and wanted to be near them. And so why does he not give you a ton of answers? Because he's afraid maybe he won't be able to talk to you that next day. Or you won't come talk to him. Or you'll start to try to do it yourself. Now, we are supposed to be tenacious, self-sufficient, all that. Please don't, no, I'm not trying to counter a, a beautiful principle. But in that self-sufficiency, one of the keys is knowing that we're sanctioned by God in the process of what we're doing. Right? And, and so, God loves us so much, he's like, I'm just going to do it one day at a time, because then you can't go too far from God. That way I can take care of you. Make sure you're okay. Elder Christopherson goes on, <clears throat> excuse me, asking God for our daily bread rather than our weekly Monthly or yearly bread is also a way to focus on the smaller. Just think what you're learning about God from this. More manageable bites of a problem, bits of a problem. I should work across this up. To deal with something very big, we may need to work at it in small daily bites. Sometimes all we can handle is one day or even just a part of the day at a time. So God knew that there's something big like gaining eternal life. We can only do it one day at a time. Prepare for the future, learn from the past, live in the present, and he will teach you what you need today. He will give you sufficient revelation for what you need today. What can I do today? Holy Father, please help so-and-so. Please dot, 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 whatever it may be. 
and you just get a simple impression of something to do today. And maybe that is, just pray for him today. Just pray for him. My colleague lost his son to alcoholism. Um, and he shared something with me that just really stood out to me. I said, how are you doing? He says, it's been really interesting. My wife and I have had very strong impressions since his death that we need to pray for him every day that he will open up on the other side of the veil. And I thought, in other words, Heavenly Fathers, make sure your heart's never too far from your son. He said the impression is, our role, our, our, our work's not done. And, I, and he says, we pray for him often about his heart will be fixed, his heart will be worked through. I thought, I know from the brethren that they can see us, but we can't see them. And I wondered, I don't know if this is true. And I'm not trying to teach it as a doctrine or anything that's absolute. But I wondered when he shared that with me. If that boy seeing mom and dad pray for him might help with the softening. I don't know. I have no idea. But I wondered about that. Incorporating new and wholesome habits in our character or overcoming bad habits or addictions more often means an effort today followed by another tomorrow and then another perhaps for many days, even months and years until victory is achieved. But we can do it because we can appeal to God for our daily bread for the help we need today. I work with a, a lot of young people that struggle with pornography um, in my last calling. And um, I tried so hard to teach them this principle. I'm like, I want to overcome this. And then they would tell me about all the past. Then they'd tell me about what they were afraid they were going to do. And I'd say, can we just do one day at a time? One day at a time. You're going to make a plan of what you can do that day, that moment, that time when the difficulties come. And then kick me a text and report to me, no matter which way it went, on how you did that day. And then the next day, that day's over. We're going to start another day. It's new. Every morning is a resurrection. It's symbolic of a resurrection, another day to start. The sun comes up and gives a reminder, Christ is there still. And I get up and I have a chance to do another day. Now, do I need to repent of things? For sure, I'm not teaching not repentance, I'm teaching there absolutely has to be repentance, okay? But sometimes, as uh, Brother Wilcox taught about in conference a bit ago, we, we confuse this fallenness and worldliness stuff. It's like I taught in my most wellness class, I say there's a difference between a fallen man and a natural man. Fallen men have propensities, successibilities. And if they're acted upon in a sinful way, it becomes natural, carnal, sensual, and devilish. But the part that comes with this of the difficulties, some have propensities towards things that are much more difficult for them. Okay? That's important to understand. I love Elder um, Nelson. Just to, uh, this, I, I, I just love this. I call it the fumble football. I learned years ago from President N. Ellen Tanner never to look back. He taught me to not look through the retrospectroscope and agonize over what I might have done differently. Let's listen to this. So I don't live in the past. Each hour is an opportunity, and either I did a good job or I fumbled the ball. Either I did a good job or I fumbled the ball. I walk away from the past knowing I gave it the best I had. Man, 
you guys are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Saints, so you probably have to put that on your wall somewhere. Because um, that's what we do with Oscar Quotes. So we're going to do something. I, I felt through this. I'm going to give a little bonus one uh, that I didn't know we were going to do, but I wanted to do. Um, let me give one caution on this principle, and then with the last seven minutes, I'm going to talk to you about recipe-driven lives and help you through that a little bit, okay? So this is interesting. The adversary takes a beautiful principle living in the presence, and he ruins it. Watch what he does. This is what he does with the modern youth. You're right. Your church says live in the present. So make sure you don't think about your premortal or postmortal. Just live right now for yourself. So he takes a beautiful principle and he corrupts the stupid thing. That's what he always does. And I say to them, living in the present does not mean what the adversary means by living in the present. In other words, just live in the moment, your desires. Don't consider what's going to happen tomorrow if you do this. Because that isn't okay. Because you need to live in the present with an understanding of your covenants of the past and your understanding of the covenants that you need to still make in the future. And when you wrap the present around with covenants, it gives you a perspective of what the present should look like. Okay? Does that make sense? So let's do something real quick. And, and we'll, so this will be a turbo, but that's what we do. So one of the things I found that keeps us from uh, sometimes revelation is what I call a recipe-driven life. And um, what happens is this, is this is what a recipe-driven life is. I define it. This is my definition. To be driven by a recipe means that we follow a specific recipe exactly, meaning one we've created or think we have seen work in another person's life. It is, it is, I'm sorry, to get to a specific desired result. Most generally, recipe-driven is associated with personality trait of perfectionism. And perfectionism is still a surface issue of what's really going on in somebody's heart. If you study perfectionism and really look at it, perfectionism has a core issue that it flows from, and that is, we are afraid of failure. And when we are afraid of failing, in fact, it's interesting. During the pandemic, they went back and looked at all of the most searched fears in America during the last two years. Death used to be number one, and it still is in one category. But the fear of failure was the number one fear by Google searches in the last two years. Isn't that interesting? The adversary is working hard. So what we do is, because we're afraid of failing, we make sure we control everything. And when we control everything, it's hard to have receive revelation. So if I want to make chocolate chip cookies, I don't get a snickerdoodle recipe, I get a chocolate chip cookie recipe. And I walk through and I go, boom, 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 and I get the perfect chocolate chip cookie, right? Um, I shared this with my students one day, and I, a young lady brought back a story that was wonderful. She said, this weekend, brother, and I went home, not home, I went to my apartment, invited my Chinese friends to come over and make their authentic Chinese food, because it's the best, it's not like the American stuff here. And she says, my mom is famous for chocolate chip cookies, ironically, from your, your uh, um, story. And she said, so I was over getting ready to make my chocolate chip cookies. She says, now let me tell you what kind of cook I am, Brother Hunsaker. She says, that's the kind of cook I am. I get out every single ingredient that it says on the um, recipe. And I get out all the bowls, I get out all the major cups, everything. And then, if it says on there, dry mix, add first, salt, sugar, baking soda, flour. I do it in the order it says on the recipe. Because my mom wrote the recipe, and my mom's cookies are the best, so I put it in, in that order. Anybody understands that you don't have to put dry mixes all in the same order. It doesn't make any difference, but she says, that's how I cook. And a teaspoon is a teaspoon. <laughs> a cup of flour is a cup of flour. And she says, that's what I was doing. So I was over there making, uh, getting ready to make my chocolate chip cookies for my friends, and they were all making their Chinese food. And 
My friend walks over and says, Brooke, what are you making? Oh, it wasn't done. It was supposed to be Susie. Um, I didn't even really was. Well, we're going with Brooke now. Um, Brooke, what are you making? She goes, my mom's famous chocolate chip cookies. She goes, oh, wow, what's that? And he pointed to my recipe. And he's, he goes, it's a recipe? He goes, what's a recipe? It tells you what to do so you get what you want. He goes, oh, we don't use those in China. We cook by feel. She goes, oh, that's nice. And he goes, any leaves? And she's over there measuring her flour perfectly, because it was the fourth ingredient, putting it in. And he walks over and says, Brooke, can I, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. Uh, do you live your life like that too? <laughs> she said, I do. And he goes, oh, and he walks away. <laughs> she said, brother Saker, I hate surprises. I hate not being in control. I have done well, I've planned out my entire life, I've gotten the degrees I want, I've gotten the, the, the scholarship I want, I've lived in every part I want, I've lived in every word I wanted, why would I do it differently? But she said, all of a sudden I realized, I don't have a clue how to live by feel. Will you teach us? See, a recipe, I call this a recipe for life for most YSAs. Of course, you know, get into the college you want to right out of high school, no problems at all. God don't intervene, I know where I want to go. Um, serve a full-time mission, your dream mission, come home just in time to start school, of course, date the perfect, um, have a perfect social life, live in the perfect ward, of course, because, you know, God might want me over here, but I, you know, I ward hop. If you're a YSA, I'm going to tell you something. Stop it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Pick the right, uh, of course, right, um, uh, major the first time, never wander around anywhere you're not doing, right? Come, uh, get all the scholarships you needed, so you never have to struggle financially, you're already for a semester, of course. Have the perfect dating experience where your heart is never broken. You forgot early on that he or she is the right one. Of course, God tell me on date two, okay? Not date three, because that's too long. Um, date, of course, number seven, you have the perfect court marriage. Of course, you can't get married in the winter, so you need to make sure that you get married, you get engaged in the spring so you can have a summer wedding, because it would be absolutely appalling to have a winter wedding, right? The girls laugh their guts out on them and go, how'd you know? Start the exact job right out of college when you need to, of course, have the uh, kids perfectly timed. Don't ask God how many you should have or when, because that would be really bad. Um, of course, have ABG family meetings, script study, because your children will believe everything you ever wanted that you taught them. And of course, build your dream house and enjoy your perfect life. We're done. Got it, right? Problem! Problem! What happens when you get ill and come over to your mission? What happens when you switch major three times this semester? What happens when you got an absolute yes and they come and said, I don't feel good about us getting married? What happens when you, the week before your engagement spoke off? What happens when you can't find a job to fill the work that you wanted to? What happens when you can't get pregnant or God laughs and he said you two children on the first try? <laughs> what happens when one of your children chooses not to believe in the church? What happens when your spouse chooses to leave the family? What I've watched is people who live by recipe, when these things happen, they become angry with God and think he's abandoned them. But he hasn't. He's teaching you our control is not where it's supposed to be. When we live by recipe, revelation is very difficult to hear. Unless it's according to what we want it to hear according to our recipe. The three principles I've taught you today Give me revelation, staying present in this picture. I promise you will open up windows of heaven if you will face multiplicities.
and testify that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.